So this evening I'm going to talk on the topic of embodiment in uh, Buddha's teaching. Yeah. So just to like, start with something slightly more abstract, the Buddha awakened. Yeah. And uh, in the Buddha, and from the Buddha, we've, uh, that was approximately 2,500 something years ago in India. And the, the teachings that he gave have been carried forward and they've been commented upon and uh, modified and uh, amplified and details have been sort of added into it to expound it more fully. And it's been affected by it's been received in different cultures in uh, Southern Asia, in Central Asia, in Eastern Asia, and the West, of course, which is fairly new. And all these kind of, because the Buddha's teaching is really something about the mind. Naturally, the mind is affected by society, culture, and, you know, dispositions of people. And so in that sense of meeting people where they're at, then certain traditions emphasize certain qualities that are perhaps more supportive or more already present for people. You know, like in Chinese, you've got kind of Chinese cultural motifs get woven into it. In Sri Lanka, you've got Sri Lankan motifs and cultural viewpoints and so on. Tibet, same thing. So we're trying to go right back, you know, even if it's just fairly theoretical, to a, as far as we can, to what's most primary in in Buddhism. The Buddha is the most primary thing. And his experience of realization. Yeah. And this is uh, always uh, presented as uh, sitting under a tree. Mm. Mm. Something stable sitting under a tree and dealing with mental, emotional, spiritual, psychological, cosmetological phenomena. Not sights and sounds, but touches but something of this uh, psycho-spiritual emotional sphere which is huge for all of us and contains our aspirations our fears urges, our plans, our ambitions and our dreads our anxieties dealing with this and then using stable body as a fundamental presence and theme. The extent in which, at least in the Pali version of the Enlightenment, the Buddha takes up this particular position, having spent six or seven years undertaking various austerities with the aim to somehow pacify the mind by purging it of all uh, sensory disposition, sensory phenomena. Yeah. 
trying to get any sense of what happens when the senses touch us we get happy, we get anxious, we get excited we get whatever all this, try to wipe try to exterminate this and get something more pure so then essentially well maybe if we just sort of suppress the body this body seems to have all these um, needs, hunger thirst sleep you know, it always needs something, so if you can kind of cut that out, <laughs> then the mind will be freed. And so then undertaking these uh, powerful austerities, and he said he could get to some pretty remarkable states of mind. You know, immaterial states, without any sense of any sensory phenomena arising removed from the body and it would last for a period of time and then he was back again into this physical form or the the awareness of this body so he kept doing this no one could have gone further than I no one could have put more effort into it than I no one could have exerted themselves any more than I did to do this and it still hasn't borne final fruit what about if I just put that aside that attitude aside as painful as stressful uh, as harsh and instead came to a more softer could say gentler uh, trusting mm, Attitude, which he likened to uh, to the experience he'd had when he was a child, sitting under a tree, uh, in the shade of the tree, feeling quite calm and cool, peaceful. His father ploughing the fields near him. So he obviously felt there's his dad, you know, secure, safe, sitting on this tree, nobody's bothering me, and he found himself feeling happy. And he said this happiness was not conjoined with sense pleasure, it was an emotional happiness, a sense of comfort, stability and and trust. And that yeah, that was that was pleasant. But it wasn't tainted with greed, it wasn't acquisitive, it wasn't corruptive, it was just a kind of simple, pleasant happiness. Then those kind of harshness, driven states dogmas, all this stuff disappeared future, past that disappeared I was just quite contented maybe this is worth following up and so he did and he's noticing in that condition breathing, how the breathing felt steadying in that and this breathing seemed to pick up the breathing in the body seemed to pick up the qualities of brightness and it began to spread through his body and mind and eliminate stress, care, craving, boredom, lethargy, jealousy, pride, all these qualities which he summarized as the host of Mara. Mara, the confuser, the death, the uh, 
contaminator. And so through that, coming through to deep realization, as the mind cast away its fetters and constrictions, powerful realizations, the first of which was the sense of this mind or this spirit or this goes on and on and on through life after life and it's going towards either benevolent results or painful results and this and there's also could be an end of that going on and this is his great realization through just through contemplating this tide of psycho-spiritual phenomena held within the presence of the breathing body. Because the qualities of the breathing body as it became steadier and calmer just uh, checked the energies of the mind running into any of this uh, aims, ambitions, worries, defense, so forth, you just cut it off. And you can see quite clearly the possibility of a realization which had no drives in it, no should, no pressure, no future, no past, no got to, no have, no regret. the energies of that ceasing, resting, and within that, the experience of realization. Even though those psycho-spiritual energies were stopped, arrested, it wasn't that there was nothing there. What was left was awakening, nibbana, deathless. Yeah. And so, so often he would teach, saying, here, look, here are roots of trees. Yeah. Absorb, get into the simplicity of this breathing body. Absorb into it while you can. Don't, don't waste the opportunity. This, you know, I'm teaching this for your welfare. Within this body, with its perceptions and feelings and consciousness is the arising of your world and the passing of your world and the path leading therein which is takes you out of stress and suffering so the world is our world of our memories preoccupations concerns hopes so forth and they're all moving aren't they and we can refer to them. And we experience them, what is their fundamental characteristic, whether they're profound or mundane, uh, bitter or joyful. What's their fundamental quality? We feel them all. <laughs> we feel them, right? We feel moved by them. We feel affected by them. We feel them. And if you think of your life, you know, what you can remember of your life, 
what you remember most strongly is what you felt most strongly. And things you didn't feel, you've got no memory of. So all that you can summarize as yourself in terms of the historical past can be really uh, summarized as a bunch of feeling. And if you go into memory, when was that? Was that two years ago or four years ago? When, when was she around? Was that 15 years ago or seven years ago? You don't have numbers on it. You just have feeling. And you have to really sometimes struggle to try and get a sense of, yeah, I was... I was I was in that place. That must have been 10 years ago. Yeah, because it was in Dresden or Amsterdam or something. So yeah, it must have been 10 years ago. You have to figure it out, don't you? So the time and the place are really secondary and take some work. But the direct experience is, that was awful. (laughs) 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 Well, it was really kind of interesting because it went from strange to quite beautiful, you know. Where it went from tentative, didn't feel very confident about that, then it gradually warmed up and it was really good and then it sort of went strange and disappeared. What was all that? That was feeling, wasn't it? It all felt. Hmm? And then when we uh, aim for the future, we may aim to get some work done or get enough money to get a decent house or find a partner or have some kids or whatever or retire what are we aiming for what are we aiming for feeling (laughs) pleasant feeling (laughs) you boil it all down thinking I don't want to aim for I'd like to have a miserable time with a miserable person (laughs) living in homeless living on a street no don't want that or maybe I do, <laughs> then that will be pleasant feeling as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> we always aim, so we're looking at feeling, you know, and the effect of it. So now you, you really get a sense of, of you know, this, this person who can seem really quite complicated, you know, uh, analyze it, quite complicated. But basically it's just the, variations of, of feeling and what does feeling do yeah when you feel something what does it do it moves doesn't it something moves right? yeah so even if you kind of, if you, even if you get the sense of oh i understand what he's talking about what happens energy moves yeah that's good yeah I'm, we're confusing felt that, right? Energy moved. And it's something moved. You can say your mind moved, perhaps, or your emotions moved. There's a shift. Energy moved. That movement of energy, that's, that's your life, is basically a movement of energy that's felt. Yeah? 
And it's aiming, surely, to the most comfortable possibility. And if we really get a sense of that, it'd be nice if it was a little bit like us, you know, I don't want volcanoes every day of feeling, like just kind of steady state, pervasive warmth would be nice. (laughs) And we probably recognize that's maybe not going to happen, yeah? But uh, you can begin to sense qualities that give rise to the uh, most uh, supportive movements of energy. When feeling moves, energy energy moves. So when that energy moves, it normally goes into, now I'll do something. It's a great idea, feel really good about that. Then I will say something, I will write something, I'll go somewhere, I'll meet someone. There we go, we're going to put it into action. So the more, more the energy moves into an active mode called direction or intention or choice, chitana. Then we follow that. So that's what's happening, isn't it? Now, if we really get to the sense of what is it that feels anything, I think your mind feels something. So you have a thinking mind, which is able to use energy to bring up thoughts and weave thoughts and scatter thoughts and build up trains of thought which is a powerful energy and that process isn't really about feeling anything it's about constructing concepts and ideas that's its job concepts ideas and another aspect of mine is about feeling that like that's a, that feels an agreeable idea it feels something. Yeah. And of course, many other experiences, we have a few thoughts, but perhaps quite profound feeling like tragedy. Your mind just stops. You think, oh, it's so awful. And your mind stops thinking, you just feel this flood of grief or hurt, you know, saturates. And you come into the real quality of, of feeling, you know, where the energy really is, it's moving in terms of heart, and when the heart moves in terms of body. That is the, as you can probably immediately recognize, the really profound feelings affect your body. You sink, or you rise up, or you contract, or you expand. Or energy rushes up into your face when you're happy and joyful. Yeah. And it sinks when you're depressed. And it flares when you're angry and upset. And it goes hard when you're driven and intense. The energy takes these shapes. Yeah. Yeah. And it drives us. And those shapes begin to uh, have a kind of a, a lasting effect as we recognize, probably, you know, when your energy is driven a lot, then you get a kind of stressed condition. 
when energy is shaking around you get a stressed condition when energy is scattered it can be quite agreeable but you get a stressed depleted state at the end of it and these all experience not just psychologically they have a bodily effect if you're weary joyful driven so on and the body is actually receiving these felt energies this is where it's extremely useful because when the thinking mind is not about feeling anything so with a good idea just based upon a good idea that we find exciting we can be driven into all kinds of propaganda dogma false beliefs yeah, happening politically uh, obviously commerce and advertising is about creating images that will stimulate us and get us driven into certain uh, shops and buying things and getting things and so on so we, we, the mind is easily seduced and, we, and it, 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 it gets fascinated and driven to the point to which people can can um, lose touch with the, the feeling that's actually the most important uh, un, oh, uh, theme of experience because you know? that's who we are if you like as I've been explaining we are that that tide of felt experience if we lose touch with it what's happening hmm? well there's no emotional moderation for a start because the thinking mind is not emotional so there's no emotional moderation and there's no uh, embodied sensitivity and proper management of energy so people are driven and also there's no uh, way of balancing the drive of the mind the mind is driven and in this disembodied state whereby the sense of the body is closed or not apparent because we're so fascinated by our thoughts our beliefs our ideas our missions and so forth we lose contact with that and certain fundamental heart realities are also disappear and these heart realities are to do with loving kindness but fundamentally to do with relational sensitivity so when we feel things things touch us and we respond and of course the most obvious thing that touches us either physically or just even even as a perception is other people we're extremely attuned to the presence and the dispositions of other people we tune them we get that emotional response and you know again again as creatures we're designed for this <laughs> this is how we um survived because basically on our own we're pretty pathetic 
uh, you know, not, I can't run as fast as a chicken even. <laughs> you know, I mean, the fastest runner in the world, Usain Bolt, can't run as fast as a jungle chicken. And that's, that's and he's considered supreme, you know. So we're pretty pathetic. But what, what made us so superior was our ability to form tribes and groups to say, we'll work together, we'll cooperate, and you do this and I'll do that, we'll figure this out and we'll work together. And we, so even more than our profound conceptual intelligence was our ability to form cooperative. So we're tuned to certain emotional, relational intelligence. Yeah. And that's not about handling concepts. It's not about forming ideas, it's about receptive, tuning in and receiving. And the fundamental way in which we tune in and receive each other is we do body signaling. Body is not just the physical thing, it's actually a, it's a communication system. Yeah. So here I am using my hands. How many people use their hands when they speak? I speak... Many people use their hands with it. There's no sound coming out of those things. <laughs> what happens to your face when you see other people? When you look at each other? Just... <laughs> <laughs> you know, what happens if you raise your eyebrows? Or frown? What, do people, what does that mean? Look at somebody and frown. What does that mean? And of course, the big one is, what do the lips do? Smile, frown. And that, at the age of four months, that, that is a profound message, isn't it? That face thing. And we, we, we didn't have to get told that. Nobody told us, look in your person's face. You, you, you are tuned by nature to look for communication through the body from another being. And you've recognized that's a human being and it's smiling, must be good. Yeah. And so this sense of the body as an expression, as a communication signaling system, because it's actually through this body and its signaling that the emotional uh, quality that we experience is communicated. Right? We communicate emotionally through body. Partly through the voice tone, but body even more immediately than that. And so certain areas of your face or your body light up or your body moves. And of course if you, you know, you come across or you see in a movie, it's a person who's completely stiff-faced, doesn't move their body, you think, oh, he's dangerous doesn't move his face or his eyes when he talks, looks at you. Yeah. Fear. This is a dangerous person. Because something you sense is, he's not emotionally connecting to me. This is dangerous. He's probably a kind of a guard or a spy or a criminal because he's not connecting to me emotionally. Yeah. He's cut that off. And something in his nose, when that cuts off, we're in trouble. Because this is when 
brutality begins. I don't care about you. And this is where brutality occurs, which is the very antithesis of the cooperative, nourishing human continuum of helping each other, is this sense of cutting, cutting off. Mm. Yeah. And something that knows that. When you see anybody do that, you see them on the film, say, looking like that. You know, this is a person who is capable now of committing acts of brutality and will not listen to me and is unconcerned of my welfare. You know, and we recognize that. How do we recognize that? Do we think about it? Probably, I wouldn't I would imagine not. Any more than when you first open your eyes, you see the smile. You think, well, oh, that's fine. It's very <laughs> embedded in our being. We look for those signals. And if we get a signal of non-communication, the emotion is dis-ease, even dread, fear. And we begin to recognize that when that emotional referencing cuts off, then the human being as brute arises. And our history, surely, is of that being evidence of that, the utter merciless brutality of human beings is well chronicled throughout history. Well chronicled. And when they were doing this, I'm sure they weren't going, hi, hello. (laughs) Just, you know, body language. Now, maybe that's kind of a sidetrack, but just recognizing, you know, the body as a signaling system and also the ability to, to switch it off. And what occurs when we switch it off? We lose empathy. We lose emotional sensitivity. We lose the sense of the other being. And we lose the sense of something about ourselves is also lost. Our, our receptivity. Yeah. Because the emotional signaling, the body's signaling, is not just to others, it's also to ourselves. Something is telling the heart. When the body is flowing and signaling, something said, yeah, that's okay. I could shrug, I can shrug it off. What do you mean shrug it off? Why do you do that? Why do you go, ah, it's okay. Why do you do that? What what is the body telling you when it does that? What about when your fists clench and you go, I've got to do this, I've got to get this done by tomorrow, oh no. What's the body telling you? So this is also signaling the heart sending signals to the body and the body sending signals to the heart that generate particular forms of action and preoccupation. Yeah. That are profoundly significant. Now, what about if we just tuned in to that process so that the signaling system itself is it clean. And so we're not signaling, you know, when we're worried, worry, what's that? 
you can feel something churning. Maybe you wake up in the night and you feel restless and churning and your body's not comfortable. You worry. Or you get something like people talk about something being on their back. Something's on my back. So you get this sense of parts of your body feel preoccupied with negative emotions and feelings. What about if we went into that and were able to clear that and clean that so the body was just cleaned of those signals of the heart? Wouldn't this be a way to actually clean some of our emotional residues? Yeah. And uh, in Buddhist practice, this is exactly what it's about. We recognize the capacity to go abstract, which the Buddha did. Leave the body altogether. Leave the material sphere, go into the immaterial sphere. He says, no, this doesn't go very far. We realize also that the Buddha's awakening is based upon being within a body. And we get to sense the ramifications, the full meaning of that. It means within this body you're in touch with the feeling quality, the energies of feeling that have formed your life, what you remember of it, formed who you feel yourself as being, hinting at where you want to go in the future. (laughs) They are the ongoing script, the feeling energies, the ongoing script. And it's not just about the future of the place, in the very present, here and now, it's shaping how you sense yourself. Now, if that were mo- if that were fully comprehended, understood, and cleaned, so there was not sensing yourself as someone who's got to be this or shouldn't be that. You weren't sensing yourself as someone who's carrying a lot of this memory and really concerned about the future. You weren't sensing yourself as that. What would you be sensing yourself as? Clean, open, awake, restful, sensitive. Not shut down, not ignoring other people, but not reaching out into it. And how would that? So could this be the way to awakening? An awakening that's very human. It's not, it's, you could call it mystical or, which in fact it is, but it's also deeply human. And this is why it's still so relevant today. Mm. So this isn't just some kind of esoteric piece of Buddhist mysticism. This is actually pragmat- dealing with the pragmatic experience of our daily lives, our tendency perhaps more than ever in our technological age to leave the body behind and go into abstraction technology uh, plans uh, machinery gadgets, we're in that internet, go abstract uh, and within that the, the loss of contact with our emotional sensitivity towards ourselves and towards others yeah to the point in which human beings in themselves become stressed, deeply stressed, in states and in nations which are relatively affluent, 
whether food is available, you know, uh, people are physically quite healthy and yet stressed, driven, taking medication to get to sleep at night, go to psychotherapists to get themselves sorted out because of anxiety, depression, addictions of various kinds. Yeah. Yeah. Because their, their emotional system is not getting fed. Because they're not in their bodies. We're now up in the clouds. Yeah. With all the wonderful progress in the clouds. And we leave the body behind. Look at the results. You know, people are nervy, breakdowns, addictions, restless. Uh, relationships get very difficult. Um, society has a lot of inner conflicts with it. You know, because people are no longer in that sense of bonding, cooperative, sensitive, and grounded in themselves. Mm. So there's a huge loss in human welfare just in this alone. Yeah. So as we try to bring this awakening teaching in, this Buddha teaching in, and it's not just about some kind of monastic mysticism, it's about caring, cleaning your, your embodied condition to the point to which the, the energy system knows how to discharge the stress and the speed, knows how to bring in the calm and the benevolence. This means that your your mind is firmly steadied, your emotions are comfortable, and your body is no longer being stressed out by massive doses of adrenaline and pressure and so forth. This makes it all extremely relevant for us in here and now today. So I'll leave it there for now. Um, thank you for listening.